Boy, it is weeks like this that I'm excited about doing this show. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, where we're going to kick back and talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds and one of the most important weeks of the season for both of these ball clubs. And alongside to talk about the Reds, our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, good evening. Evening, David. And had we known back in March when we began this series, our fourth year, uh, that both teams this late in August would be in the thick of the hunt, uh, I think we'd be pretty pleased and maybe surprised. Not so much for the Reds. I think the Reds were uh, supposed to be where they are right now, if not in you know even in first place. But uh, the surprising play of the Indians, uh, you know, I hope uh, I'm not up there with you near the Cleveland market, but I would hope it's generating the excitement you would expect when your when your team is entering September in the hunt. And uh, what they only what two and a half or one and a half games out of the wild card, and uh, you know have a chance. They're, they're in it. They may not win the division, but they have a chance for the wild card. Well, Mark, I want to ask you a question. The radio stations down in Cincinnati. What is the predominant uh, story right now in sports in Cincinnati with those stations? Is it the Bengals or is it the Reds? No, it's definitely the Reds. I mean, even today on some regular talk show. Uh, WLW has talk shows all you know all day, and they had several interviews with Reds players, and, and uh, it, it's clearly the Reds. Even though the Bengals uh, have had a pretty good preseason and look to be a very solid football team this year, but make no mistake, <clears throat> Cincinnati is a baseball town. Make no mistake about that. Uh, the, the Bengals, uh, given the the horrific years they've had <laughs> for decades. Uh, there's something to do when you don't have baseball, but uh, unlike other teams, uh, other cities, you know, the, the Cincinnati fan base is clearly one steeped in baseball tradition. Well, it's completely different in Cleveland because in Cleveland, it's definitely the Browns. The media only talks about the Browns. The Indians are an afterthought. And that's the way it is uh, this week. I mean, the Browns have a game on Thursday night. That's the big story around the Cleveland radio stations. And the Indians are opening up a great series this week with Atlanta, which really could be a do-or-die series, Mark, if you want to look at it that way, because these next nine games that the Indians have, and we're really going to get into the schedule, what both teams have coming up. But with the Indians, this is the biggest road trip that they've got so far. They go to Atlanta who has the best record in all of baseball, and they play them a three-game set, and then they go to Detroit. And Detroit has the best record in the American League, and they play them in a three-game set. So these next six games, and then you add in the three that they've got when they come back from this road trip at home starting next Monday night against the Baltimore Orioles, who are only a half a game behind the Indians in that wild-card chase, Boy, these next nine games are very imperative for the Indians to do something. Yeah, but if you look back the last two years, <clears throat> I don't think the Indians were uh, playing any kind of exciting baseball uh, at this stage of the season. So uh, it, it is exciting for both teams. And the Reds, as we were talking before we went on the air, they have seven of their next ten games are against the, uh, the Cardinals. And th this could be... The, 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 the 10 games that decide whether the Reds are going to be a contender for the division or they're going to be in that wild card spot, the second wild card spot for the rest of the year. 
I mean, they have a chance to win the division. Uh, that, that second wild card is a crapshoot. Uh, they're going to either play the Cardinals or the Pirates in one game. And what that means is you've got to throw your best pitcher. There's no, there's no saving them for the, the, the playoff series against uh, whomever wins the division. So uh, the Reds have a chance, and, and that's about all you can ask. I, again, I think if you were to have a, a disappointment measure or level in fandom, I think you would say that the, the Indians fans are, I would think, more favorably per, uh, surprised where their team is as opposed to Reds fans because I think the Reds were expected to be in first place by four or five games at this point in the year. Well, not only do the Reds have these next games coming up with St. Louis, not only this week, but then again next week, but have you seen the St. Louis schedule? They play their next 13 games straight against the Reds and the Pirates. Yeah, <clears throat> I did see that, and it's it's interesting that uh, I think the most compelling week of the year will be the last week in the season when the Reds play six of their final nine games against Pittsburgh, uh, three in Pittsburgh, three in Cincinnati, and I think the, the the series in between is against the Mets, who, by the way, won't have Harvey to pitch against the Reds now. But uh, at any rate, uh, th those six games against the Pirates, uh, I unless things change dramatically, uh, will have a huge impact on what happens. So the, the Cardinals, after they play the, the next two or three weeks, they, I think, have the easiest schedule in September. Uh, they play a lot of teams with losing records, and, and they play the Cubs and Milwaukee and, and some other teams that they, they're they going to probably beat up. So if I had to predict now, I'd say the Cardinals are going to win the division, and I think the Reds are going to catch Pittsburgh. But, again, it's going to be down to a one-game playoff. So, yeah, it's better to play at home than on the road, but uh, I'm not sure that that makes all that difference. Well, recapping what's going on with the Reds so far, they were four and three on the week. Overall on the season, they're seventy-four and fifty-seven. They were five and five in their last ten games. They are in third place, two and a half games behind Pittsburgh and St. Louis for first, and of course, two and a half games behind Pittsburgh and St. Louis in in second place. But they're up seven games in the wild card chase on Arizona. They really kind of put Arizona out of their misery last week, Mark. Even though they only went four and three on the week, they pulled out those big games against the Diamondbacks. Yeah, those are the three games, if you're going to pick to win, those were the ones to win uh, against Arizona. And uh, they could have easily lost three of those four, uh, or one, all four, for that matter. It was a very close series. Arizona's a good team, and, and the Reds uh, came out on top. And if, if you do the numbers, Arizona has to play about 700 ball if the Reds play 500 ball to catch the Reds, and Arizona's got a tough schedule. they got seven games against the Dodgers. They they played the San Francisco Giants seven times. Uh, so they got their hands full in the West. And uh, I think the Reds are in pretty good shape for that second wildcard spot. But, again, uh, they're trying to win the division. And this series this week and the one against the Cardinals next week will go a long way in determining that. Mark, I want to get into what's going on in the Reds game tonight because it's really kind of ironic that they're up five to three in this game in the first the opening game against the Cardinals in this series. And the thing about it is, Mark, the two big hits that they've had 
have come from the two guys that have really been disappointments this year in their lineup, Zach Cozart and Todd Frazier. Yeah, Zach Cozart uh, had a big game yesterday, too, and he's driven in now 50 runs for the year. And for a shortstop, that isn't bad. It's just his batting average. He's been down in the 230s most of the year. Uh, And and Todd Frazier had a big triple uh, on a ball that uh, I thought should have been caught, but uh, nonetheless, he drove in a couple of big runs. So uh, if you get those guys swinging the bat reasonably well, then, you know, the Reds have a decent offense. But the problem is they have been overwhelmed by good pitching, Cozart and Frazier, as have many of the other Reds. So I, I am very disappointed in the Reds' offense this year. Uh, but, boy, if they were able to pick up a number four hitter going into next year, uh, the Reds, with their young pitching, could be around for a long time, uh, being very, very competitive. Well, Aaron Boone and Rick Sutcliffe are doing the game tonight on ESPN, and one of the conversations that they were going over is something that I wanted to bring to your attention tonight and get your feelings on is the fact that Joey Votto, they were talking about maybe he should expand his strike zone somewhat when there are runners in scoring position. And Joey Votto has been really taking a lot of heat, from what I understand, over not doing that by the media. Mark, is he taking a lot of heat? And, and what is his approach when he goes to the goes to the plate? You know, I happen to agree with that. I think they're right. And I think Joey is of this mindset that he's not going to swing at anything it is in a strike. Well, he has taken, I think they said yesterday, he has struck out looking something like 38 or 39 times. He's not even swinging. And in other cases, with a runner on second or third, he is not going for a pitch that's clearly reachable with his plate coverage. I mean, he goes to left field better than anybody I know in baseball. But he'll take that pitch, a 3-1 pitch where he has a chance to to line one to left field, he'll, he'll take it, and now it's 3-2. And it, it goes, you know, 3-2 count, I think, is always in favor of the pitcher. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, I, I think there's some validity to that. But I, on the other hand, uh, I think that might change if Votto had somebody hitting behind him or had somebody that is a legitimate number four hitter. Not that Brandon Phillips hasn't d- done a good job, but I'm telling you, a, a 230 or 240 hitter hitting behind Votto and Chu this year would have driven in 75 runs. <laughs> I mean, and and Brandon's only hitting, I think, what 265. So uh, he he is not a legitimate power threat. He's not a legitimate number four hitter. And I, I can only imagine <clears throat> if you'd have had a, a legitimate number four hitter behind Votto, how many RBIs that guy would have had. Well, yeah, and I mean, he he tried to compare his approach at the plate, the way Boone and Sutcliffe were talking about, to that of uh, a Mickey Mantle who would hit 40 home runs and drive in 80 or 90 runs during the season, where he's pretty close to that right now, but he has only half the home runs. I, I wasn't quite understanding the correlation beyond that, but I understand what he's trying to say is that he goes up there, and he's got to see the pitch. He's got to think through the pitch, and that's how, that's his approach to the plate, and that's what's made him a success. Yeah, but, you know, you you look at his statistics, and you could argue he, he got off to a very slow start this year power-wise because I think he was still coming back from knee surgery. But he's got 20 home runs, 60 RBIs. He's hitting around 310. Uh, those are not 
stupendous numbers. I mean, they're they're very pedestrian when you're paying a guy $25 million a year. So the question, there's a number of questions. Is he hitting in the right spot? Should he be hitting third or fourth or fifth? Fourth or fifth are much more RBI positions for Votto. And his his approach, you can't argue with it. But I would say if he's going to do what he's doing now, batting second. Because, you know, you look at Beltran. Beltran hit second many times this year for the Cardinals. Uh, but he, he's, he's, a, he's got power, but he's not that 40 home run a year guy power. And the Reds just don't have that in their lineup. They, they don't have a scary hitter there. And, uh, you know, I, I saw today that Kendry Morales uh, cleared waivers. Man, I would love to have the Reds pick him up. I don't know where they play him, but he, that guy, now he, he's the kind of guy that would put the fear of God into a pitcher hitting behind Votto and Chu. Right, and, you know, I would love to see the Indians pick up a guy like that, too, because what the Indians have been doing since they got rid of Mark Reynolds, since they released him, Mark, is they've been playing Jan Gomes at catcher a majority of the time. He's basically the Indians' full-time catcher now, and they've been either putting Santana at first base or DHing him. So that's where he's been at lately. But I'll tell you what, if you get Kendry Morales, you could literally put... Morales into that cleanup spot for the Indians and bat him at DH and put him at DH and I think that improves the Indians lineup just like it would the Reds don't get me wrong either either team would benefit from this guy yeah but I, I have to admit he's a better fit for the Indians than the Reds because he's not a great defensive player and I, I don't know who you would not who, who would you replace defensively to have him in the lineup he plays first base and he catches, as I understand it. I, I don't know if he's played the outfield or not. So I, I realistically, while I love his bat, I don't know where they play him. <clears throat> On the other hand, in the playoffs, you know, the World Series, he'd be a great bat to have when you're playing in the uh, uh, the other team's, uh, you know, the American League Park when they have the DH. So anyway, he, he's one. He, he's the kind of bat I wish the Reds had, uh, but they don't, and that, that there's nobody in the farm system. So if they're going to acquire any power for next year and beyond, it's not going to be you know through the through the system. It's going to be going out and getting somebody. Well, recapping what the Indians did this week, they're seventy-one and fifty-nine overall. They went five and one on the week, Mark. They're seven and three in their last ten. They're still in second place. They're five games up on Kansas City, who's in third, but they're still six games behind Detroit. And Oakland is playing Detroit this week, and that's a big series not only for. Oakland, but it's also a big series for the Indians as they go into Detroit this weekend. And besides that, they're also just a game and a half behind Oakland in that wild card set up in the American League, Mark. So the Indians, I don't know who to root for this week, whether it be Oakland or Detroit. Yeah, I mean, I, I would, the most important thing you want to do is get into the playoffs. And I think with the Indians, just making it to the playoffs says a lot of things to their fans, uh, to the front office, uh, that, that they've done the right thing. I mean, that's a huge improvement over where they were last year to get into the playoffs this year, even if it's a wild card. So if I were you, I would root for, for Detroit and just hope that you, know, you get into the playoffs picture and take your chances. Well, last year we only won 68 games, so we're three games better than we were a year ago, and there's still a month to go in the season. Hey, back to the Reds 
real quick. Jonathan Broxton, what happened to him? He he tore uh, a bicep muscle that is not as serious as it sounds, according to those who know. They said he'll be out six months. Uh, if there was no ligament damage. Uh, this is a fixable type thing. But I said it. I said it when they did it, and I said it a couple of weeks ago before he got hurt. I thought this was the worst signing the Reds have had in the last five years. Uh, this guy weighs 330, 320 pounds conservatively. He's going to eat himself out of the league. And when you're that heavy, when you're that out of shape, things start falling apart. And it, it, unless this guy takes his career seriously, he, there's no way in the world this guy is worth $7 million a year. And that's what the Reds paid him for three years. And, I mean, I was down there last year about a month after they signed him, and I was within two feet of him. I mean, I'm, I'm 6'2", 225, and he he made me look like a dwarf, this guy. He is really, he's really big. And it's not all muscle, <laughs> you know. And yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know what they're going to do with him next year, but they're, they're, really it's, I think it's a lack of respect for your teammates when you let yourself get that out of shape. And now, what's he going to do in terms of working out between now and next year? This guy could come in weighing 350, 360 next year. And I think it was a terrible signing. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me that this guy is done, that he will not be able to come back. And I hope I'm wrong. This is one of those things you say you're afraid what's going to happen. But I think his... His approach to the game is not respectful of the game, not respectful of his teammates, and I, I wish the Reds had not signed him. Well, I can tell you one thing. If this guy comes back to training cap next year, heavier than he is now, there is absolutely no excuse because you can get on a bike, you can go take a walk. That has absolutely nothing to do with an arm injury, Mark, and he should be able to at least work out his cardiovascular system and his legs in order to drop a little weight before he comes in. So if he comes in overweight, there's no excuse. Yes, but he, he came in this year overweight, and he was hurt twice. And that, that's my point. When you're out of shape and you start getting into your 30s, which he is, your body doesn't, it doesn't heal. It doesn't, little things end up hurting you for, you know, get you on the DL for, for a month and a half, two months. And he's he only pitched, what, uh, 20 games this year. So my concern was when they signed him, this is what was going to happen. It did happen. And fortunately, the Reds have had a great bullpen without him. But I hope he comes back healthy enough where they can trade him and get some value for him. Well, who would want him right now? No one. And not even, <laughs> not even the Reds. But, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on you a little bit. Which signing was worse, Broxton or Hanahan? Oh, Broxton, but not even close. I mean, Hanahan was cheap. He signed for two years. What did he get, a million dollars a year for two years? <clears throat> and he's hitting 220, 225. I, mean, I think if he was hitting 250, everybody would say, well, you know, he's a backup third baseman, good D, good arm. Uh, he gets on base one time in four. He He's had a good last couple of weeks to raise his average, but uh, no, there's no question Hanahan – uh, is a much better deal for the Reds than Broxton. Uh, and he's pretty much 
again, hitting 20, 30 points below what I wish he would hit. But uh, Broxton, you know, he didn't he didn't contribute a thing this year to the Reds. And we got him for two more years at $7 million a year. What's the situation with Sean Marshall and now Tony Singrani? Well, Singrani will be back. He's uh, he, he was pissed off because he did not get to pitch yesterday. And uh, he felt he was okay to pitch, and they did not pitch him. And uh, his his uh, replacement pitched pretty well, a rookie up from Indianapolis. Um, but the the Marshall situation is that he is now playing long toss, as is Johnny Cueto, by the way. They said Cueto looks like he has not been injured all year. He's throwing hard. He hasn't thrown off the mound yet, but he's throwing long toss. And when they say long toss, you know, they're throwing about 150 feet. So his, he's got good strength and velocity, and uh, there's a chance he could come back. Sangrani definitely will come back. He's going to miss one more start, but he will be back absent you know, another injury. Marshall, they said he's uh, got good range of motion, and this is the week. They're either going to activate him after this week on the road uh, to their rotation, because in September you can expand your rosters, or they're going to disable him for the rest of the year. Well, all right, so then they moved Cueto to the 60-day DL, but that was kind of like what the Indians did with Brett Myers earlier this year. They moved him to the 60-day DL, and he almost has used up his 60 days anyway, so he could really come back in September, can he, Mark? Yeah, exactly right. He was nearing that anyway, so that was just a uh, a clerical move, uh, and he's able to come back and pitch, I think, as early as September 1st, so... Uh, now, Cueto, it would be interesting if they put Cueto in the bullpen. Uh, he could replace Broxton out there uh, if they don't want to risk him, you know, as a starter. And uh, his, they say he's healed. I, I don't know. But it's awfully, awfully hard to come back and, and gain arm strength to be a starter in the precision you need at this late state. But... Cueto throws hard enough. I mean, you know, if he was throwing one or two innings, he could probably come in and throw 95. And with that changeup, he'd be devastating, devastating in the bullpen. So it wouldn't surprise me that the Reds put him out there. And there's no question about it. I think unless he's disabled for the rest of the year and he can't pitch at all, they're going to try him out in the bullpen between now and the end of the year. Well, you know, that's not unheard of. Remember, Tim Lincecum really helped out the Giants last year in the bullpen and pulled their fat out of the fire a few times. Do you really think the Reds would consider putting Cueto out there? Yeah, I think they would, uh, particularly with Broxton gone. And uh, you know, it's, it's going to be up to Cueto in terms of his, his mobility. They don't want to do anything to hurt him. But think of it this way. Even if he pulls the lat again in September, he's got six months to fix it. <laughs> so unless this is a chronic injury where he's going to require surgery, uh, you know, why not? What, what, they don't have a lot to lose by putting him in the bullpen, uh, particularly between now and the end of the year. Now, they may not put him on the playoff roster, you know, if he's not pitching well. But, uh, you know, I think he could certainly add something to the Reds' uh, bullpen. So, well, and the the only injury that the Indians are dealing with right now is Ryan Rayburn. Now, Rayburn's been a very important cog off the Indians' bench this year, but he is suffering from an inflamed Achilles heel and right calf muscle. They have been contemplating putting him on the 15-day DL, 
but he's kind of fighting against it and trying to, to rehab it while not being able to be played so much right now. So that's kind of where the Indians are at injury-wise. One of our questions on the Ask Us segment has to do with uh, Josh Tomlin, and I'll get into that here in uh, just a little bit, but he could be an important addition to the Indians coming up during the month of September. Mark, the waiver wire. Of course, uh, you mentioned Kendry Morales and, and his situation in Seattle uh, passing waivers. Um, it was uh, Morneau in Minnesota. He breezed through waivers. Of course, the, the deadline is this Saturday. Are you hearing any rumors, anything out of Cincinnati that people are contemplating? No, I've not heard anything. And, uh, again, both of those guys, I don't know where you play them if you're a Red. Uh, you know, unless you're going to, uh, you know, bench or put Votto in left field. I mean, <clears throat> you could do that, but he hasn't played out there all year. But those are two guys I'd love to have offensively, but I'm not sure where they play. <clears throat> yeah, that's the difference between the American League and the National League. You've got the DH to play them in the AL, but in the National League, you got to find a place to, to put them in the field and that sometimes can have a lot to do with what's going on, and that's why they, I think baseball's got to do something with this DH rule. It, it's just gone long enough, and since you're having more and more interleague play and interleague game every night, something's got to be done with that rule. Just either, either put it into the game completely or get rid of it completely. Something's got to be done. Well, my vote is to get rid of it. <clears throat> I think it cheapens the game, and... Uh, uh, it really takes away a lot of strategy that I like about the game. And, and I know you're a fan of the, the DH, or at least you were. But I, I think it's it's time. I mean, I, I don't see the value in it. What's the point? And, you know, it, it keeps some fat old guys who can hit around for an, another year or two. But <laughs> that's about all I see the value of. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I mean, I, I honestly, I've never really been that big a fan of the DH. But, you know, when you've got either, like I said, either implement it for all of baseball or get rid of it for all of baseball. But, again, here we come down to what I've said over the past few weeks, Mark. It's Bud Selig and baseball not able to make a decision on anything, trying to ride the fence on everything they can. And I think that's a big problem with the DH. It, it, nobody can make a decision on whether to get rid of it or keep it. Yeah, and that's that's Bud, Bud Steele's fault. Uh, I think it should be a no-brainer. I mean, I think if you if you pull uh, certainly the Hall of Fame members, they'd say get rid of it. And I, I don't know what I don't know how the the typical average fan views it. Uh, I, I think it takes away so much from the game, far more than it gives. That uh, I think both leagues would benefit by having one rule. But you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, Sean Marshall. Right now, the Reds are in deep trouble, bases loaded, one out. And this is precisely the spot that Sean Marshall would come in rather than Manny Parra. Uh, Parra's done a good job for the Reds this year, but this is where you needed Sean Marshall. Bases loaded. Uh, you got two left-hand hitters up, and uh, Parra's just walked one of them, and the game's on the line. And this is where you'd want uh, him to come in and, and you know get these two left-handed hitters out. Yeah, and it, this is a this could be uh, the season right here. Not so much. Uh, for the entire season for the Reds, but it could be the division. They've already got basically the wild card set up, and that's one of our, 
our questions in our Ask Us segment. And we're going to come back and go through our Ask Us segment and talk a little bit about the Little League World Series. We're going to do that right after this timeout. Tragic news out of Cincinnati. It's been confirmed only minutes ago that Cincinnati player Dylan Michael, three-time most valuable player and a member of three World Series championship teams, was among those killed in a plane crash in southern Kentucky last night. Michael was on his way to Atlanta to begin a five-year prison sentence for drug use and tax evasion charges. Last at Bat, a novel by Mark Donahue, available at Joseph A. Beth, Barnes & Noble, and Books & Company. And you can order your copy of Mark's book, Last at Bat, here at the UltimateSportsTalk.com homepage. It's on the right-hand side. Just click on the Order Now button and get your copy today. Mark, the Little League World Series completed yesterday. Uh, can I interject something before we move on to that? Yes. Uh, I don't know if you just saw what happened uh, with the Reds game. There was a ground ball to first base by by John Jay. Uh, Joey Votto fielded the ball. Bases are loaded. He fielded the ball, stepped on first base, really the only play he had, but then started to run off the field. He didn't know that there was only one out. And this has been my my take on Joey Votto this year. I don't know what goes through his mind sometimes, but he, his – his penchant for doing stuff like that, and we talked about him taking all these strikes. Sometimes I wonder if his mind is in the game. I mean, that that could have been a critical error he just made. If that runner from from second that was going to third had kept going, Votto had his head down, running toward the dugout, the guy would have scored. And it, it's he's done this now. This is the third or fourth time he, he's made more errors this year than he has all year. He's not driving in runs. And it's very frustrating when you have someone with that talent who has those kinds of mental glitches, and I I hope it's not a trend. Well, let's get into our Ask Us segment because that leads into one of the questions. Of course, you can join us on our Ask Us segment just simply by giving us a a shout on the Twitter, and that's at OHBBCoHost, OHBBCoHost, easy for me to say, or you can send us an email to two different locations, ask us at ultimatesportstalk.com or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com. Mark, let's open up the Ask Us segment just simply by getting into what you were just talking about. And PR14 sent us an email over the weekend, and he said, this Reds team just has no fire in it at all. Is that on account of Dusty Baker, or is this team just going through the motions and making their way into the playoffs? Uh, it may be a little of both. Uh, Dusty Baker has never been, nor I think will ever be, a rah-rah type of manager, like a Lou Pinella or or even a, a Francona, uh, who have very, uh, assert, not acerbic, but much stronger personalities than Dusty does. Uh, Dusty sees it as a marathon, and what happens is players adopt the mental approach of their manager. And Dusty Baker has has this kind of manana attitude that everything will work out okay, these are pros, they'll, they'll, they'll get it done, all that stuff, which, you know, is not necessarily a bad philosophy, but it leads to what our, our, uh, our guest call-in guy, whoever it was he, who wrote in, uh, said. It, it, the attitude is this team has no fire, it has no spirit, it has no spark, uh, it doesn't have a Ryan Friel, uh, it doesn't even have an Aaron Boone who was a fiery type of guy. Uh, there, there were others on the Reds who, who really kicked people in the butt. 
and the Reds don't have that. And it really starts with either the manager and or your best player. And Joey Votto is the Reds' best player. Now, what he just did indicates to me that he's, he's, his head's not in the game. Other players see that. They think it's okay. Joey Votto is not the kind of guy that's going to be a leader. And I'm not saying he has to be, but somebody on that team has to be good enough and get enough respect from the other players that he can lead this team. And I think what a guy that could morph into that is Devin Mesoraco. Uh He's a tough dude. Uh, he's getting better each year. He's a catcher. And, uh, you know, I think in the next couple of years, he could be that guy that would go up to a Joey Votto or go up to somebody who, who has done something stupid on the field and get in their grill and say, hey, that's, that's BS. You don't do that on this team. And when, you know, even the other day, Brandon Phillips uh, hit a ground ball to second base and didn't run hard to, fir to first. That's happened. That's happened a dozen times or more this year. Now, Dusty Baker is not the kind of guy to go out there and embarrass Brandon Phillips. But Devin Messerago could. He could go out and say, hey, superstar, don't forget to run, or something like that. Let, let him know you know he's not putting out. The Reds don't have that kind of player. Well, let's go back to the big red machine years, and let's go back to 1990. And I think the the guy with that kind of an attitude on the team in 1990 was probably Rob Dibble. He he was probably the mouthiest of those guys. Would you agree or disagree? Yeah, but that, that whole, I tell you, the other guy, that, that all three of those guys, all three nasty boys, I mean, they, <laughs> Randy Meyer and Norm Charlton, you remember when Charlton knocked uh, Socha about 30 feet over home plate on a play mm -hmm. at home plate? I mean, that that's the kind of attitude that those that, that bullpen had, all three of those guys were that way. So it's that's what the Reds don't have, and it's very clear that there, there's nobody, like, you know, Todd Frazier someday might be that guy. But you can't hit 230 and strike out 150 times and lead the team. You can't. You have to be a good enough player that the other players on the team respect you enough to listen to what you have to say but they also see how you play. So it's a, it's a double-edged sword. you got to be good, like, like Molina. Molina, he is the leader of the Cardinals. And uh, but by his performance on the field, but also his attitude. And the Reds don't have that. And see, I think on the Indians, when you're looking at a leader, I think there's no doubt who that is, and that's Jason Giambi. I think Giambi has brought more to this ball club, along with Nick Swisher, those two guys have taught this team how to win. I think those two guys have kept this team loose. And Terry Francona, every day, comes to the ballpark, Mark. You don't think about yesterday's game. You don't think about tomorrow's game. You think about today and worry about today's game. And that's exactly what he does. And you can kiss it goodbye. Alan Craig just hit a grand slam. The second Grand Slam home run that Hoover has given up in the last four games. You know, I, I, all right, just off the top of my head, Mark, I guess this is one of those times I've got to ask you. You've, you've really uh, brought up the idea of this is where you need to use your closer. It doesn't have to be in the eighth inning. It doesn't have to be in the ninth inning. 
And I, I understand that it was Matt Holliday and Craig coming up, but you've got Araldus Chapman in the bullpen, who's your shutdown guy. Why isn't he in the ball game at this point? I, I have no idea. But, the, you know, when you take out Sean Marshall, Sean Brock, I mean, uh, Sean Marshall and Broxton out of your bullpen, it has a ripple effect. Hoover should never be in a position like that. He's not ready for that. And he should be pitching the sixth or seventh inning or, or the fifth or sixth inning and not be in a position like this in the seventh, eighth, or ninth. You bring in your top three guys and you, and you have at it. So, you know, the Reds had a four-run lead in this game, and this is a game that Dusty Baker has lost because of the way he has ha- handled this pitching staff. It's very frustrating. Yeah, I would I would agree with you on that. Okay, let's get back to our okay. Ask Us segment. Johnny B5 asks us, are, and this is a really pertinent question right now after that Grand Slam, are the Reds focusing on winning the division or just getting the top wild card spot? Well, they're focusing on winning is what they're focusing on, and uh, that's they know, they have the comfort of knowing they've got a seven-game lead and, uh, you know, have a pretty good shot at, at getting into the playoffs. But, you know, if, if they if they lose six or, or seven of the next uh, seven games against the Cardinals, they're in real jeopardy of not making the playoffs. I mean, there's still 33 games to play. So uh, I, I think there's some, unfortunately, there's probably some comfort that these games aren't as important as they are. But we could be here a month from today, and the Reds are going to be, you know, two games out of the wild card as opposed to seven games above. It could happen. You know, this is like the Indians and the Tigers. The Tigers are just dominating the Indians this year, and they did it last year. But doesn't there come a time, Mark, just like the the Cardinals have been doing to the Reds over the last couple of years, that the Reds have to stand up, make a stand, basically, and say this isn't going to go on any longer, and they've got to at least put up a fight against these guys yeah, the Cardinals had their number all, all year, and uh, it's like the Reds are, you know, the ugly stepchild in this division, and they can't beat, you know, the, the big bully on the block. So uh, until that come, until that time comes, they're, they're going to be an also-ran team. And, uh, again, I, I've said this from day one, that they're going to finish third in this division. And uh, when you have the injuries they've had this year, I mean, think of what they've gone without this year. Cueto, I mean, Cueto is the number one pitcher on probably, I don't know, out of 30 teams, 25 teams, he's a number one starter. And he would have been number one starter on the Reds, which would have made Latos number two, probably the best number two starter in baseball. Then you'd lose Sean Marshall, and you'd lose Broxton, and they lose their number four hitter, which the reason I'm saying this is, the Reds have had an opportunity all year to shore up their pitching and to shore up their uh, their offense, and they haven't done it. And that is that's that's the front office. Yeah, and and I you know I I feel your frustration. I do because it's the same type of frustration that I had over the last two years with the Indians' front office not doing anything. And then last year, all of a sudden in the winter, they decided to go out and spend some money. Hey, Engine Fan 99 asks us tonight, what can Josh Tomlin bring to the table in September? Well, this is a very good question because Josh Tomlin, who's coming off the Tommy John surgery, uh, has been 
reactivated by the Indians. He's been sent to AAA. He's going to make a couple of starts at Columbus, and then he's going to turn around and come up to the Indians in the September call-ups, and the Indians are expecting this guy to either make a couple of spot starts in September or be someone that they can depend upon out of the bullpen. Now, I've, I've always been a big fan, Mark, of Josh Tomlin. I think he's got an excellent arm. I think he's an excellent pitcher, and I think next year he's going to be able to help this ball club. And he's already made one rehab start down in Akron, and he did an excellent job down there pitching five innings. He threw 66 pitches, Mark, in his first outing, 50 of them for strikes. And that's, that's Josh solid. Tomlin the way he is. That's solid. Yeah, having, you know, so, I, I like the beginning of the year, we talked about the Indians starting pitching, and, and really the pitching staff from top to bottom. Uh, that, that's what's made the difference this year. I, I'm not convinced that Swisher really had that kind of impact. I mean, with, with, if you had the pitching you had last year, even with Swisher, it wouldn't have made a difference, I don't think. But that the pitching this year is very solid. And, you know, the Indians, you, you don't want to face the Indians in a short series. <laughs> I don't care who you are. So, uh, if, again, if they can just get into the playoffs, you never know what can happen. Well, that's all they're hoping for. Reds fan 14 asks us tonight, last week you guys talked about if Walt Jockety would be back if the Reds lost in the playoffs. If Jockety is gone, would Dusty be far behind? No, I think Dusty would be gone, too. I mean, if if, if there's enough of a meltdown, like if this team doesn't make the playoffs, as an example, I mean, I, I, I'd be the first one to blame Jockety first. Uh, I think it's his fault if they don't make the playoffs because he's had an opportunity to improve this team, and he, he chose not to do it. So, uh, and then Dusty is Jockety's guy. Uh, I don't think uh, Bob Castellini was ever leaning toward Dusty Baker. Not that Dusty hasn't had a good run, but I think you'd want to start off fresh with a new general manager, and I would love to see Brian Price get a chance to manage this team. I think he's he's a great pitching coach. And he's going to be somebody's manager. And he reminds me of Bud Black doing San Diego, who's a pretty good manager out there. Uh, but, you know, very few pitchers get to manage. But a pitching coach is a little different. Uh, if you if you graduate from a pitching coach, uh, you, you're involved with strategies and hit and runs and all those things with your pitchers. So <clears throat> I hope it doesn't happen. I hope the Reds make the playoffs. But uh, the way they're playing against the Cardinals, uh you know, it's it's going to be a rough month of September, I'm afraid. Mark, I'm going to ask this a different way. What keeps Dusty and Jockety in Cincinnati in 2014, and what gets rid of them? I think if they if they miss the playoffs, they're gone. Uh, this team has far too much talent uh, not to make the playoffs. So uh, to me, that's that's the major major um, criteria, but. Others will say that's not enough, that this team should have been a lot better. They should have won it in 2011, and they and Jockey did the same thing. He didn't do anything to improve the team over, 10, over 2010 when they won the division, and they ended up in, what, third or fourth place. So uh, at, at some point, you look at this organization, and if they don't win, the problem is there's nobody in the minor leagues for the Reds, at least – in double-A AA or triple-A, you might have some studs in, in single-A ball, but they're three or four years away. This team, with the payroll they have, the money they've shelled out to these superstar players, 
they better win <laughs> because if they don't, uh, there's there's going to be a fan rebellion, uh, and, and they're going to want to get rid of Dusty and Jockety. Mark, you mentioned what what Jockety didn't do. And it jogged my memory, and a lot of our listeners are probably younger listeners and don't remember back the, the 1970-71 season for the, the Big Red Machine. But that, that team in 1970 was loaded. And then in 71, they were a total disappointment. And instead of sitting, standing pat, Bob Housem went out and made the deal, which could have been the deal of the century for the Reds, when he traded Lee May and Tommy Helms and ended up getting uh, Billingham, Geronimo, and Joe Morgan. He didn't sit around and wait. He changed the entire dynamic of the ball club with one deal. And that's something that Jockety just has never grasped. Yeah, and what you don't know are what kind of limitations the ownership is placing on him but right now the Reds have, for the third or fourth year in a row, out outdrew what they did the year before. Uh, they re reached two million people yesterday, uh, the earliest in the team's history, and so the fans are showing up. The fans are doing their their job, and they're they're likely to draw between 2.4 and 2.6 million this year if they make the playoffs or stay in the race between now and the end of the year. Uh, so they've got the money. And they have spent the money, I think, in some cases, foolishly. Uh, again, I refer to the Broxton deal. But it, they, they certainly have not put together the kind of team like the Cardinals have where you one through eight, you know, you have a tough at bat. And they've got great pitching. The Reds have good pitching, too. But the Cardinals offensively are just much better than the Reds. So we've had a chance. The Reds have had a chance all year to improve the roster. And they still have a chance between now and the, you know, I think the Saturday, uh, where they could they could bring in somebody to help. But Jockety just stands there and does nothing when you see Rome burning, and that's the thing. I would rather I don't mind, you know. You, you could argue, okay, Broxton was a bad deal, but he did something. He, you know, he, he tried to make the team better. I think it's the wrong thing to do. But when you say, stand pat and do nothing, I think that frustrates fans more than anything. Well, we've just got just a couple of more questions here tonight on our Ask Us segment. Uh, and some of these names are extremely interesting. Let me tell you, Mark. Are you hot tonight? Asks us. Who is better? Good thing this question's better than that name. Brandon Phillips or Joe Morgan? Well, you have to define uh, defensively. Obviously, Brandon Phillips is much better. Uh, offensively, I think Joe Morgan is much better. So it depends on what you, you know, what value you put on those respective disciplines. But Joe Morgan was not a bad second baseman. He just didn't have the range in the arm uh, or could turn a double play like Brandon Phillips. Brandon Phillips, I think, is the one of the best defensive second basemen in the history of baseball. I mean, I, I know it's a big statement, but he, he, he is outstanding. When you see him play every day, uh, he makes the very, very difficult play look routine. Uh, Joe Morgan couldn't make half the plays that Brandon does. But on the other hand, Joe Morgan would steal you 50, 60, 70, 80 bases a year, MVP twice, uh, would hit 25, 30 home runs, drive in 80 to 100 runs. Uh, he was a, an unbelievable offensive player. And when you have your second baseman putting up those kinds of statistics, 
And then you have Bench and Perez and Foster and Rose and Concepcion and Griffey hitting around him. I mean, it makes just for an unbelievable team. And Brandon Phillips, I mean, if Joe Morgan was hitting fourth for the Reds with the on-base percentage of Chu and um, Votto, he'd be driving in 150 runs. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Okay, Matt Begon asks the question, would the Reds or Indians plan the last few games of the season differently for a wild card game over a playoff series? I, I'm going to say the Indians at least would, yeah. I, I think they'd probably try to get their pitching rotation set up to where Justin Masterson would probably pitch either the playoff game the wild card game or the first game of a playoff series, uh, but you know that's where that wild card game really can can screw with you, Mark, is because if you have to use your ace, your best pitcher, to get yourself into the second series, the divisional series, then your pitching staff is all out of whack. Yeah, I don't know many teams that would play around with their rotation at the risk of not making the playoffs. In other words, if you have a chance to win the division uh, by going with uh, you know your best starter, but if you lose that game, you may be out of the playoff picture altogether, that no team is going to hold back their best starter. They're going to get into the playoffs. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you worry about you know the first game of the uh, playoffs when you get there. Uh, so I, I think every team will try to get to the playoffs first, uh, and then you try to win the division. Okay, last question on our Ask Us segment tonight comes from Tribe1995, and he says, can we see a Reds-Indians World Series? No. Why not? Because I don't think the Indians are a good enough ball club to make the World Series, let alone the playoffs. I, I, I think it's a, I, I'm all excited about what's going to happen here in September, Mark, but in all reality, I don't think the Indians have a ball club that is going to, if they do make it into the playoffs, that they're not going to get past the divisional series. That's that's just my feeling on the Indians. They're not that good. Well, they may not be that good, but you look at the Giants last year and look at the Cardinals. Uh, what was it, in two thousand what ten? Uh, neither one of the and they both won the World Series. And neither one of those teams they barely made it into the playoffs. They weren't supposed to win. I mean, the Giants last year and the Giants they won it what two years before that. Uh, neither one of those years were they even close to the best team in baseball. You get a team hot at the end of the year. Uh, they played a tough, you know, schedule. They, they they had to really bust their butt to get into the playoffs. They they're used to tight games. They get on a hot streak, and anything can happen. That's my point. Get into the playoffs and worry about the rest of the stuff later. So while I think it's a long shot that the Reds would play the Indians in the World Series, I don't think it's impossible. I mean they. Each one of those teams, the Reds, I think, are clearly in the top five in in the National League, in the top five teams, maybe six teams. I can't think of five teams better than the Reds. And you look at the American League, can you think of seven teams or six teams better than the Indians? Um, I Boy, you know, I think Boston is. I think Tampa Bay is. I don't think – I know Detroit is. Mm-hmm. Um. Although we've done a pretty good job against Texas, but we're not, we're not, no. No, there's not seven teams better than the Indians. No, that's my point. I mean, when you have a team like the Reds and the Indians, they're, they're in the top half dozen of their respective league. So 
Are they capable? I mean, they can beat the Tigers. The Indians have done it. Uh, they haven't done it a lot, but they beat them. And so there, I don't think there's – and what could happen is that somebody else knocks off Detroit before uh, they play Cleveland uh, in the playoffs. You know, that, that, that could happen too. So it's all about mixes and matches. And uh, last year the Reds were clearly better than the Giants, but the Giants won. <laughs> so I don't think I would have picked the Giants to win the playoffs last year or the World Series, but they did. Well, Mark, I want to get into the September schedules for both clubs here in just a moment. And, by the way, that's the end of our Ask Us segment. Thanks to all those that sent in their questions tonight via Twitter at OHBB co-host or at the emails askus or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com. Do it again next weekend. We'll answer all of your questions. Mark, I, I just want to get into something here real quick. Charlie Manuel, and I've always been a big Charlie Manuel fan, was fired by the Phillies last week, and he was uh, replaced by Ryan Sandberg. You know, you could say a lot about how Charlie was an old country boy, and, and a lot of people thought that he might have been a country bumpkin and things like that, but you know what? That guy was baseball personified. He was born and bred to play baseball. He stayed in baseball for over 50 years, and regardless of what you might think of the guy, wasn't that bad a manager for the Indians, and he was a pretty good manager for the Philadelphia Phillies. Yeah, you know, he's really a throwback guy, an old-school guy. That we, there, There's not a lot of them left, frankly. Uh, most of the guys now that, that are managing baseball teams, and Dusty Baker clearly is old-school, but you have a lot of young, smart... Uh, I look at Matheny uh, for the Cardinals. I mean, he's a young guy in his 40s. Uh, was a player just recently, uh, went to college, smart guy. Uh, and, and I think that's kind of the norm now that you're going to get with managers. Uh, the old school baseball players, uh, managers who work their way up through, you know, they typically weren't the best player on the team and uh, ended up being managers. Uh, and, and in many cases, I mean, I like Charlie Manuel too, but you wouldn't confuse him with a, with a Matheny, intellectually at least. So, you know, I think there's, a recognition that a baseball manager has to be a psychologist, maybe a psychiatrist. Uh, they have to be cognizant of the business aspects of baseball. And I think you're going to see more Matheny's in the future than you will uh, Charlie Manuel's. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. But I'll tell you what, this may be a controversial statement, but I think Mike Matheny is doing more to drag down the uh, uh, Tony Larusa. Uh, bandwagon of him being one of the greatest managers of all time, I think he's doing a pretty good job of breaking down that myth. Yeah, I mean, the biggest fan of Tony La Russa was Tony La Russa. Uh, nobody liked him. He was a jerk, uh, arrogant, uh, self-absorbed. I could go on and on. Uh, I met him a couple times, but uh, the guys that would talk about him who knew him far better than I did, uh, that was kind of their uh, their take on him. And you're right. I mean, Matheny has come in and cobbled together a great little team, and uh, uh, they've got some superstars. But imagine losing pool holes, and the team gets better. <laughs> yeah. And that's, yeah. that, that's going to be very interesting. I think one of the most interesting stories in the last four or five years has been the Los Angeles Angels. When you look at their roster, when they signed uh, uh, Hamilton, but even before they did, when they signed Pools, that team 
It looked on paper like it would win the division by 20 games. Then they signed, and they, and they don't. They had a horrible year last year. Then they signed Pujols, and they have a horrible year this year. I mean, they signed Hamilton this year. And they're supposed to win by 30 games, and they don't. You know, what has happened to that organization is remarkable. And I think many people were thinking the same thing was going to be happening to the Los Angeles Dodgers after what they did, all the money they spent, but all of a sudden that team has caught fire and living up to their, their press clippings. But the Angels, it's a remarkable... I've never seen a failure of a team like this. It's, it's, it's a colossal failure. And if any manager was going to be fired, you'd think it was going to be theirs. Well, I thought that too, but then I heard an interesting thing from Jim Rome today that they signed Mike Sosha, Mark, to a contract through 2018 for $5 million a year two years ago. Were they nuts? No, they weren't nuts. Look at what they look at their roster two years ago. Look at their roster a year ago, or when this season started. That team was supposed to win, and he had won with less talent years before. But you know, I, I think what it says is when you have a guy like uh, Pujols, who who I think he hit two sixty nine this year before he got hurt, and you have Hamilton. Who hit 235? He's hitting 235 or 240 right now. Uh, when they don't perform at that level, uh, it brings your whole organization down because you invested so much money in these guys. And that's my fear about Joey Votto: that the Reds have put so much money into Joey Votto that it's going to impede their ability to bring in other players over the next four or five years that can help the team win. Well, they can always trade him to Toronto. <laughs> yeah. Toronto will oh, yeah. take just about anybody. Yeah, that, that's a very good point, and I think Toronto is very close to uh, the Angels in terms of what they have not done. Yeah, I agree with you. Hey, I want to look at the two schedules real quick here before we sign off for tonight, Mark. The Indians in September play 15 games at home and 12 on the road. They'll start September with one game in Detroit. Then they've got a nine-game homestand with Baltimore, the New York Mets, and Kansas City. Then they go on the road to play at Chicago against the White Sox for four games, then Kansas City for three, then they come home for the Astros for four games, the White Sox two, and they finish in Minnesota with four games. That's a pretty favorable schedule for the Indians. The Reds, on the other hand, let me just give you a brief synopsis of what they've got. They open up September with a homestand of ten games with St. Louis, the Dodgers, and the Cubs, and they have six-game homestand to end the season with the Mets and Pirates. And in between, they've got a road trip of nine games at Milwaukee, Chicago against the Cubs, and the Pirates. So they're playing St. Louis four times and the Pirates six times in September. Yeah, the Reds have a much tougher schedule than the Indians do. And, uh, again, with the, with the way the Reds are playing right now, I, I think that uh, – I hope – you know, it'd be interesting when you look too at what uh, the the uh, Angels, or I'm sorry, the uh, Diamondbacks have. Uh, their schedule is a pretty tough schedule, which helps the Reds. So, right now, I don't think the Reds have a chance to win the division. I think their only shot is to get into the wild card. And right now, I think third place in the Central is a lock. Well, and look at you know, I know we're going over tonight, Mark, but the Cardinals just beat the Reds eight to six. And look at how happy the Cardinals are 
bouncing back to the dugout after winning this ball game. And the Reds, i got to be honest with you, they wouldn't be showing this kind of emotion had they won. Well, I, I don't know what kind of emotion they'd be showing if they'd won. Uh, you, know, you can't prove a negative. But what gets me is this, this Cardinal team is never out of a game. And the Reds, if they get down four runs, they're, they're done. And the, the Reds do not have that pivotal player right now that they can depend on. Uh, it's not Joey Votto. Joey Votto, if he continues at his current pace, he's going to be hitting under 300 when the year is done. And he is not the guy to carry this team offensively. He's a great player. But, again, I mean, to sign him to a $250 million contract over 10 years when you didn't have to, you didn't have to, he had three years left on his contract. And, you know, I, I think it's a huge, huge risk uh, that the Reds took for a player that right now is kind of a middle-of-the-road player. Well, the Indians have Atlanta tomorrow night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night. Then they go to Detroit, Friday, Saturday, Sunday afternoon game, and then they come home to face Baltimore on Monday afternoon, which is Labor Day, and then Tuesday and Wednesday. Mark, what do the Reds have coming up? Well, the most important thing is they got seven games in the next ten against the Cardinals. Three here, three in St. Louis. Uh, then they go to Colorado for three, and then they have St. Louis coming in for four next week in the Cincinnati. And again, the season could be over for the Reds by, by next week. They, they could be that far down in the, in the standings. So it'll be it's going to be awfully tough to, to, to win two out of three now after they blew a four-run lead tonight. Well, we'll find out where they're at next week when we come back and join each other next Monday night at 9 o'clock here on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Mark, try to have a good week. Okay, David, you too. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Our thanks to you for listening tonight. We really appreciate it. And all of your questions on our Ask Us segment, join me again on Thursday night with the Ultimate Sports Talk Show at 7 o'clock here at UltimateSportsTalk.com. Mark and I will be back next Monday night at 9 o'clock with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Until then, have a good week, everybody. Good night.